I invite you to uh, pick up the Bibles that are underneath your seats there if you don't have a Bible of your own. Um, I was doing some research this past week, and, and one of the websites I was on had an article that uh, it's been out for a while actually, but it was the first time that I actually read the article. Published by Willow Creek. And some of you are probably very familiar with Willow Creek, but this article was very, I, I was really impressed with it because what it basically said was Willow Creek had done an internal questionnaire, uh, an internal assessment of their people, and while they've been stellar at getting people to come in their doors and to hear the gospel and to even make a decision for Christ and cross that line of faith, uh, they admitted that they had been extremely poor at helping those individuals grow up in Christ. And, you know, every time that I, I preach, I, I tell you what book we're going to be in and how to find it. And I, there are some people here that are like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, try, you know, turn in my own Bible and stuff like that. But friends, let me tell you, this is one of the most powerful things that was in this article. He said that we have neglected to tell people that their faith is their own responsibility. And so we would encourage you uh, as, we, as we're learning together today, and, and this will all make sense and it'll all wrap up together in the end why, why I'm going down this road, uh, to start down that path of, of understanding and learning the Bible, learning how it works, learning how it's put together, and learning what's inside of it. And so today, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah is one of the major prophets it's in a portion of the Bible called the Old Testament, or the First Testament. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the Old Testament and how it's laid out, it's in some pretty significant sections. The first five books of the Old Testament are called the Pentateuch, or the Torah, the books of Moses. After that, we start getting into some of the historical books. Those are the books like the First and Seconds, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings. And it's basically the history of Israel. And then we get into some wisdom literature, and those are books like the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And then right after Ecclesiastes are the major prophets, Isaiah being the first, and then the minor prophets. And the, when we say major and minor, that doesn't mean that the major ones are the really cool guys, and you, those are the ones you really listen to. And the minor prophets, well, you can kind of take or leave the minor prophets. No, the way that they're, <laughs> they're divided up into major and minor is just how much they wrote. So the really verbose prophets were the major ones, and the ones who were very succinct and got their ideas across in a very short amount of time are the minor prophets. And so there you go, a little trivia knowledge. You can stick that back in your pocket and go home, and if nothing else today, you've learned why the Old Testament is laid out the way it is. So there you go. Um, we are journeying together uh, through the Scripture. Our, our message series is called Winter Journey, Finding Our Way to Christmas. And I said this the first week, but I, I, it bears repeating. I really appreciate the fact that we are in Advent and that we celebrate Advent um, and observe it. Because 
Advent is a dark time. It's a time of waiting. And much, much of the time during this Christmas season, we're expected to do things like, you know, play jingle bells on the radio and put on our red and white hats and red clothes and be happy all the time. And the fact of the matter is, is that we're not always happy, even during this time of the year. And that sometimes in life, very much like the, the cycle of the Christian year, there are high points and there are low points. And we've taken it from this, this season as we journey through this winter time. We're looking at the Christmas story and the Advent story from the perspective of John the Baptist as he sits in prison. And uh, our verse that we've centered on is taken from Matthew chapter 11, verse 3, the second part of that verse. And John is in prison and basically wondering what's going on, tells his disciples to go to this, his cousin, Jesus, and ask him, are you the one who is to come or are we to wait for another? He sits in darkness, waiting, waiting pretty much to die. And the first week, we looked at the possibility that John, as he's sitting in his cell and waiting, might have reflected back on the stories that his father told him and his mother told him that are coming true right at that very time. Stories of how there was going to be this one that came in the way of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord. And that John himself was the person doing that. And how perhaps he got some comfort in how these stories were playing out. Last week we heard a little bit about how we, maybe John found some comfort in, in some of the scriptures and some of the Verses that he had learned growing up. And this week, we're going to go to the next step and look at the potential that maybe John found just a glimmer of hope or some joy in the idea that there is prophecy that is coming that has not yet been fulfilled. And maybe that God is going to turn things around and fulfill that in his lifetime or maybe sometime in the future. So I invite you to open up your Bibles to Isaiah. And if you've forgotten where that is, you can always use the table of contents and, and look it up. That's what it's there for. So uh, feel free to, to look that up. And as you're turning to Isaiah chapter 11, I'm reminded of, a, of a, a time in my life when I was new in ministry. And why the church that I was a part of asked me to do this, I, will, I don't know. I, I, felt, I felt bad for the family that I was trying to minister to because I was green. Green, green, green. And my church asked me to go minister to this family who had a three-year-old, uh, I'm sorry, three-month-old child that started to vomit uncontrollably. And uh, 
baby Jake just kept throwing up and throwing up, and they didn't know why, so they brought him to the doctors, and, and in addition to just being sick all the time, you would cry, and you couldn't console him. And the doctors ran a whole bunch of tests. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. And for months and months, they were trying to find what was wrong with this child. And eventually, they found it. Baby Jake had a brain tumor. And from the three months when, they, when he started to be sick to six months old, when it was the time that I met the family, the tumor had grown so much that you could see the growth in the baby's head. And the baby was in incredible pain. And I remember the family and just how terribly sad they were and how completely helpless I felt in this situation. And the doctors came to the decision that they thought that they would operate and that that might help. And so they did, and they operated on baby Jake and took out something like a third of his brain on one side. And Jake lived for about 12 hours after that. And I will never forget the parents and how in that dark time, that time of waiting to see if this surgery was going to help, to see if their little baby, six months old, was going to survive, I was blown away by the fact that they, f they found hope, that there was a glimmer of light. And after baby Jake died, the parents looked relieved. And they said to me that they found comfort in the fact of knowing that they would be together with their baby someday. They turned, they told me about a passage of scripture. It's in 2 Samuel. You can write this down 2 Samuel. And this is the story of David after his wife Bathsheba bore their first child and the child was stricken and became sick and eventually died. Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. David said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? And here's the verse that they told me. The verse that gave them hope in this very dark time. David says, I shall go to him. But he will not return to me. And during this very, very dark time, this family found hope in this passage of scripture that talks about how David would one day be reunited with his child that died in infancy and that 
they would one day be reunited with their child that died in infancy. And as I think about John sitting there in his cell, I'd like to think that some of the things that came into his mind that that gave him hope were the verses of Scripture that had not yet happened. And perhaps he thought about this passage in Isaiah chapter 11. And it's a pretty... It's a pretty funky chapter. It's a pretty interesting little uh, snippet of verses here. I think John finds hope in this, though. Verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 11 says, A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and And the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he sees or decide by what he hears, but the righteousness he shall judge, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. And so here it gets a little little wild and crazy. Verse 6. The wolf shall live with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp. And the weaned child shall put its hand over the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the people's. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. So Isaiah, the prophet, lays out this this vision that he has of of the time when this root of Jesse, which is a reference to the, the Christ, the Messiah. Christ just means Savior. And he speaks about Restoring not just humanity. And I think that's something that we miss in our kind of North American evangelical view of, of faith. Is that so often we're told what faith is about is giving your heart to Jesus. And when you give your heart to Jesus, you're saved. And it ends there. And that's not it. That's not all that the Scripture's about. That's not all that the Savior does. The Savior just doesn't come to to save just humanity. He comes to restore all of creation. And Isaiah gives us this amazing picture of potentially what creation was like before the fall. The idea that these things that are at enmity with each other, our enemies with each other, 
are now living together. Cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. But it's not. It's peaceful. These things that would normally... Well, I guess being enemies is not really the way to think about it. It's, it's you know, depending on your view of the whole circle of life thing. It's, they're just different places on the food chain, right? Bears and the things that they would usually eat. Walking side by side. Grazing. So there's no more meat eaters. And all the vegetarians said, Yay! Okay, we had one back there. <laughs> this idea that somehow when the Savior comes and restores things, there's no more hurt. There's no more pain. There's no more need for, for meat eaters to feed on plant eaters. And everybody just kind of grazes. It's this picture that perhaps in the Garden of Eden, before the curse, that all you needed to do is go out and just pick something off the tree. And when the curse happened, humanity was not the only thing that fell. Creation fell as well. The curse talks about how thorns and thistles will grow out of the ground. And instead of this ease of just going out and picking your, your food, that you go, by the sweat of your brow you will have to bring food in. So the curse affected all of creation. And as I was reading about this prophecy and how Christ is going to restore things, it, it's, Google's an amazing thing. And you can get going down some pretty wild rabbit trails. And, uh, and so as I was searching for prophecy, one of the things that popped up was Mayan prophecy. Does anybody know Mayan prophecy? Does anybody, have, are you familiar with it at all? Anyone? Okay, a couple of you. Did you know that the Mayans created a calendar thousands and thousands of years ago that is more accurate than our very own calendar that we use today? It predicts the winter and summer solstices, 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 you know what I'm talking about. With more accuracy than what we predict them with today, with our own calendar. The other thing that I found very interesting about Mayan prophecy and the Mayan calendar is that it has dates and it goes through December 21st, the year 2012. And after that, it ends. December 21st, year 2012, five years from, from almost today exactly, give or take a week. The world ends. Now, I'm not suggesting that we follow Mayan prophecy, but it does bring up an interesting thought. Scripture, our Bible, talks about the end coming when there's wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and plagues and hunger and famine. Nations rising against nations. We've got all that. Five more years and the end will come. What do we do with that? If you knew you had five years, what do you do with your last five years? 
kind of removes some of the barriers, doesn't it? Some of the things you say, ah, you know, I'll, I'll tell them tomorrow. I'll make that relationship right, you know, next, next year. You don't have that time. You don't have that luxury. You've only got five years. Maybe. And then the end. See, the great thing about Christ's return, the great thing about prophecy in our, in our Bible, in our scripture, the, the word of God that we follow and we believe to be true, is that regardless of whether you believe that there's going to be a true 1,000-year reign of Christ, whether you believe that the book of Revelation is a true literal telling of what's going to happen at the end, or whether you think it's completely allegorical, just pictures and you know, it kind of refers to things that are going to happen, but it's not the really th real thing. There's not going to be a dragon with seven heads and 12 crowns and all that other stuff. Um, whatever your point of view, the prophecy of Christ, the prophecy of the returning Savior, is that it will be imminent. It could happen at any moment. It could happen now. No trumpet. Okay, I was throwing it out there that maybe just, you know, one of these times I'm going to talk about it and there's going to be this trumpet and we're all going to go. But uh, no, not today. Maybe tomorrow. Christ's return is imminent. Prophecy is given to us I believe. So no matter what we're going through today, we can have hope and we can have joy, which is different than happiness. And we can have peace. And as I think about John sitting in his cell, possibly reflecting on this this portion of scripture in Isaiah I think that really should should speak to our hearts because John's situation is that he is in prison and will die in prison and so often kind of one of our shortfalls again of of our faith as north american christians is that once we give a heart to Christ well, then that's supposed to be it. We're supposed to be changed. We're supposed to be new. And so, why would I go through pain? Why would I go through hard times? And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say to us that when you give your heart to Christ, you'll be free from all pain and sorrow for the rest of your life. No, that isn't it. I'm sorry if that comes as a shock to you. The Bible talks about going through difficult times. And that God will be in those times with you. So let me ask you, what is it in your life today that is causing you pain, that is causing you sorrow? What is it in your life today that, that might be just creating angst? Because I think we can find the same comfort in the scriptures that, that John did. In your own life, you might be 
struggling with just you know a, a time of just sadness. You're not there's not really anything in particular that that's wrong, but you just feel down. And I think Isaiah, in, in, and I'm going to rattle off some verses here, and I invite you to write this down and check this out. This is how it all wraps together. We're responsible for our own faith. And in order to find the hope, in order to find the joy, we have to be familiar with these scriptures. We have to know God's word. And in knowing God's word, we will find the hope. But first, we have to know God's word. So write these down. Check these out this week. Isaiah 35, verse 10. The prophet says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow, and all sighing shall flee away. And sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Man, if you're dealing with, with just a downtime in your life, there's a time coming when sorrow and sighing will flee away. But friends, it may not be today. And it may not be tomorrow. In fact, it may not be for a long time. It may not be this side of heaven. So much of what we're taught is that just give your heart to Christ and everything will be great and peachy. And that's not the way God tells us it's going to work. He says that you will find hope and strength in Him and in His Word. And maybe here we can find some hope. Maybe some of you are just sick and tired of war. The war that our people are in. Our troops. The wars in Africa where we have entire people groups slaughtering each other. Just for a difference of opinion Isaiah 2 verse 4 was something that Jason read to us last week in his, his message it says the Lord shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruny hooks nations shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore no more war Some of you might be really hurting because you're feeling alone. Maybe it's your family that you grew up in is just not a functional family. Uh, maybe you're distanced from your, your brothers, your sisters, from your mom or your dad, and you feel alone. God in His Word tells us that in 1 John chapter 3, the first two verses of 1 John chapter 3. God tells us, see what love the Father has given us, that we should be called the children of God. And this is what we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. Take hope in that. We are the children of God. Second Corinthians verse, or chapter 5, verse 17, speaks to this idea of what happens when we're dealing with, with just 
addiction and things that are in our life that we can't get rid of, that we've been struggling with for, for a long time. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, second chapter, or second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. And friends, I, I'll be the first to tell you that in my own life, in my own struggles with addiction... I've often read this verse and said, but nothing has changed. I'm still tempted. I still have the yearnings that I had before. And God is telling us in his word that his perspective of us has changed. That when we surrender our lives to him, he no longer sees the sin but he sees his son, Christ, standing in our place. There's also great hope that there will be a time when everything is new and I don't have to deal with these struggles anymore and you don't have to struggle with them anymore. And there's been great times of what we call sanctification, of improvement, of moving toward that goal. But this side of heaven... I don't expect that I'm going to get there. I hope, I pray, and it's better every day. But when we talk about that new creation, sometimes I think in our, again, kind of this North American consumerist mentality, we want it now. We want a fix. We want a pill. Something that's going to take it and change it and make it right this instant. And it's not about that. It's about a winter journey. It's a, it's a li- lifetime of a walk with Christ and growing in faith and understanding and joy and in hope through things like learning His Word and becoming more familiar with His promises. Probably one of the greatest promises that I, I have read in scripture and it gives me tremendous hope is found in the, the book of Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 through 4 it talks about how God is going to restore all of creation and particularly verse 4 of Revelation 21 it says God will wipe away every tear from their eyes death will be no more mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. The first things, the curse that happened way back in the garden will be no more. No more pain. No more tears. And friends, while we might be going through a winter journey right now and we're in pain and there are tears, there's a time coming when that will be no more but it may not be now. And finally, as I, as I bring this to a close, the one last verse is the words of Christ himself found in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. In verse 24, Jesus' words are recorded, and it says, Very truly, 
Or if you're reading the King James, verily, verily. I like that. Jesus says, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. The title of this message is Wonder Where We're Going. And the great part about that verse in John is that I think it drives home our, our takeaway message. And if you want to write this down, I'm not sure how you, how you differentiate this, but the great thing about the Christian faith is that we don't need to wonder where we're going because there's wonder where we're going. There is joy and peace, no more pain, no more suffering. Wonderful. And even if we're going through a winter journey, we can find that dawn of new life, of Christmas morning, to bring hope for what, whatever ails us. In a moment, we're going to uh, respond to God's word at table. But before we do that, I would like to open up a time of prayer. And for some of us here today, we just need to pray and, and trust God that even though we're going through a winter journey, that spring is coming, that even though this is a low point, that our high points will be coming, even if it is an endless life. And so I invite you, if you're going through that hard time, to pray with us now. Some of you might be saying, you know what, I'm not sure whether I have that eternal life that you speak of and that Jesus talks about in the Gospel of John. And I would invite you to pray and just say, God, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure. But I want to believe and I want to have that eternal life. And so we'll pray together in just a moment. And some of you, quite honestly, could be going through a wonderful time in your life. And this would be a time to praise and thank God for that. And I invite you to pray along with everyone else. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for your friend. Maybe pray for the person sitting next to you. And pray that God would show the hope that can be found in his word and in his promises. So let's go to God in prayer. I invite you to pray this along with me. You can pray it silently. And uh, no matter where you are on your walk... I invite you to pray this prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus. We believe that He is the hope. We believe that He is the one to take the creation and change it and recreate 
what was always meant to be. I know that I have strayed. I know that I have fallen short of what you want me to be. I run to your son, Jesus. Accept his gift. I look forward to that eternal life that Jesus spoke about. Accept my life. I give it to you freely. In Jesus' name, amen. We would like to open and invite you all to table. This is a time of of remembrance, of reflection, and also a time of celebration. The table represents Christ. The table represents the sacrifice that God made. The bread representing the broken body. The cup representing the the poured out blood and the new covenant that Christ talked about where you could have new life, be born anew as Christ, when he died, was born anew. And so if you're on the journey with Christ, we invite you to table and take the bread and dip it either in the juice or the wine and remember and celebrate Christ and what he has done. During our time of response, it's also appropriate to to just meditate on what we heard, maybe look at some of those verses that I mentioned and just read them in context and see what, what is going on there. If you made that profession of faith, if you prayed that prayer for the first time of believing Christ, of accepting that gift, or maybe you just need to talk to somebody and, and, and just ask for prayer, uh, we have a station set up over here. We have a couple of chairs where we'll have some pastors over here that will pray with you. There's also a kneeling station that we invite you to, to use. So please feel free to use this prayer station to respond to God's word. And, and just continue our time of worship and, and prayer and, and being together with each other. And so with that, we'll, let's open up the table. It's going to be open for the remainder of our service time, so you don't need to rush up here or make a line. Um, but please do join at table and celebrate the, the hope and the joy that we can have um, both now uh, but also in, in an age to come. So with that... The table is open.